This is episode 41, Star Trek Insurrection. I'm your host, Captain Mike Luke Picard, and welcome to another out-of-this-world episode of Third Time's a Charm. Today I beam aboard the bridge my Star Trek consultant, Dan the Duke Hayden, to be my number one and resident trekker on this voyage to a mysterious planet that, let's face it, should be classified forbidden by the time this is all over. Dan's returning from the Search for Spock episode, which also featured Tobin Addington of the Contenders podcast and my new co-host over on The Monsters That Made Us, The Invisible Dan Cologne. Be sure to check out the new show, The Monsters That Made Us. It's the last Friday of every month, where Dan and myself watch all of the original Universal Monster movies. If you're listening to this live, as in the day that it's released, which is November 3rd, 2020, please be sure to vote for the Golden Woodies, the Tom Hanks Awards, over on Hanks for the Memories. Check that out, please vote, and stay tuned for the awards ceremony coming soon. It's great to have Duke back here today and to have such a Trek fan on to talk about this franchise with. And I hope we get to do this at least one more time before I end the show, because the cool thing about Star Trek is there are technically three part threes. Any way you slice it, there's a chance I'll get Dan on for Star Trek Beyond. But before all that, we gotta get to the movie at hand with Star Trek Insurrection. So without any further ado, grab your tricorder, set your phaser to stun, because we're going on one hell of an away mission. Times a charm. I would love to welcome back to the bridge. I'm beaming him up. He is none other than my resident Trekkie. And please welcome back to the program, Dan the Duke Hayden. Dan, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me back after a uh, search for Spock. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I was not aware that you were so into Star Trek to the degree that you would agree to come back and talk about the other two part threes in the Star Trek series. We got the next gen movie for tonight and down the line in the future. I'd love to talk about Star Trek Beyond with you. But for tonight, it is just the two of us on the bridge. It's a two man mission. Picard and Data doing what they do. Let's just get started and right into it. You know, we got a little bit into our Trek past on the Search for Spock episode, which was a lot of fun, but I feel like we mostly talked about the original series and that cast. Dan, can you clue me in a little bit about The Next Generation and your experience with that show? What would be your history with The Next Generation? So Next Gen is definitely the first Star Trek I remember seeing, like when I was really, really little. It definitely wasn't the first one that I saw in its entirety. I have 
have mixed emotions about the next generation. I definitely think that it has some of the strongest episode entry-wise of any series. It's got like maybe three or four of the most iconic or I think some of the best episodes of Star Trek. But more importantly than my relationship with the show... These four movies were really, really big parts of my childhood. I remember going and seeing them in the theaters and being like super excited that these were like the Star Trek movies of my childhood. And I really, really, as much as, you know, I I love to hate one or two of them. I really love these four movies, kind of. Two of them, maybe not so much as the other two, but I like the Next Gen cast. I think that's the strongest thing that Next Gen has always had going for it. The ensemble cast is absolutely astonishingly good. Yeah, I would have to agree on that point right up front. The cast is great. I think for me, that really helped me get into the show, the caliber of acting, the diversity of characters that they kept up from the first series. Next Generation was sort of my entryway into the Trek universe at large. I had been aware of the original series growing up, obviously, as an age kid and everything but I didn't really go back and check that out until my friend Rick got me into the next gen and he was like I always considered him maybe like my smartest friend in high school Um, and he (laughs) was really into Star Trek and they sort of became a surrogate Twilight Zone for me where I started to be like oh they're all about you know morals and lessons and twist endings and uh, it's kind of just like that in space with the same people every week so I found like a good in with that. And I'd agree some of my favorite episodes, some of my least favorite episodes, some of my favorite characters, some of my least favorite characters. But warts and all, I really like that series. As far as these four movies, you might be surprised to learn I've never seen Nemesis in its entirety. I'm sorry. You, you don't have to. Like, you can just skip it completely, man. What an abomination. I know about it. It stars a very young Bane, Tom Hardy as, and spoilies, a little bit of spoilies, he plays a Picard clone in that movie, is what I heard. Like, I know a little bit about it, but I've never really gone there all the way. So, they're en route to, spoilers, Riker and Troy's wedding, and they get called to, because apparently there's been a shakeup in the Romulan Empire, like up in, in like the structure-wise, and there's a new Praetor, and apparently the, the first thing they find about the Praetor is that the Praetor is not a Romulan at all. It's from like this sister plan, planet Remus that they haven't really talked about. So Yeah, Remus and Romulus. Yep. Exactly. So they're like super confused about, oh well, the, the new Praetor is Remus, this is crazy, and they want to have a conference and they've like they really want to talk to John Luke. We have no idea why. And then they it it turns out it's a younger version of John Luke. Yes, that they've sort of raised in an internment camp off world and like grew to hate. I mean, we're getting a little in the weeds in the wrong direction, but that's okay. <laughs> But why don't we get into this movie, why we're here tonight. This is the third Next Generation movie. I saw the first two in theaters. I did not see this in theaters, but I quite enjoyed it when I watched it the first time. This is only about the third time I've seen it, was for this episode. Uh, How many times would you say you sit back and you put on, I mean, I know you put on Trek a lot, and this is the ninth, technically, in the series, but uh, how often do you think you've seen this one? I'd rank this very much, you know, like the higher part of the back end of the movies. I mean, I'd probably say of all the Star Trek movies, Generations and Rathacon and First Contact are probably the three that I've, I've watched the most. This one I haven't, this might be the Star Trek movie I've seen the least, and maybe that's why I don't particularly hate it or fault it as much as maybe I should. I remember in college, Nemesis being almost like, not a meme, but like it was one of those terrible movies that you 
show people just like, I hate you. Let's have a couple beers and laugh at this terrible movie. Insurrection, I guess I never really felt that about. I mean, there's parts of this movie I really, really like. It's just that there's far too many campy, weird things going on that kind of take away from it. I put it near like the top of the back end of Star Trek movies. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. That's the thing. Like, I think by this point, Star Trek is starting to show its seams again. Like, it's part of the tradition of Trek, if you ask me, so I don't mind it so much. But I know this movie in particular sort of gets trashed for feeling mostly like uh, like a three-part episode and looking like a three-part episode. Like, it's kind of got a very TV quality compared to a lot of other things going on at this time. That, again, I find that to be part of the Trek charm. All things considered, I think that it's a detriment overall in the grand scheme of what they were going for you know i think there's they're always very ambitious and they overreach visually when i think sort of mentally and psychologically they succeed a lot more often that's funny you say that because there's there's moments in this movie that are gorgeous it's just when you look at because apparently this is like the first trek movie where everything space and stuff was computer generated and it does not look good in a lot of moments but there's a couple of like genuinely good shots near the back end of this movie that i was just like oh i forgot about this that looks that looks nice so that's pretty yeah i think they made some very strange choices in how they constructed this movie apparently there were a lot of different script ideas and a couple of different plot points that they were kind of going for but at the end of the day there's just so much missed opportunity i was deep into DS9 when this movie came out. There's a bunch of nods to DS9 in this movie, actually. And it pisses me off that I I went to the theaters hoping that there would be a Jem'Hadar warrior or like a Vorda pop-up to piss somebody off. Or more DS9 stuff, because that was really the show at the time, right? That was the one. You should almost have done a DS9 movie, perhaps? It wasn't just that it was the show at the time. It's that DS9 has hit its stride. Like, it, I don't know if you know much about... Do you know anything really about DS9? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've only watched, like, half of it, but I know about all of it. So I know, like, when they say the Dominion War and, like, how Worf's not really supposed to be here and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm up to date. But uh, if you want to, for our listeners, just elaborate a little bit. The back end of DS9, like, the last, like, three and a half seasons, you know, there's hints to this thing called the Dominion, and they're pretty much just, like, this ultra freaking military group of it's like an anti-federation with some interesting command structure on the other side of the wormhole that's stationed that's where ds9 is stationed they're from like the other side of the universe so it's like before the wormhole opened up no one's seen like a whole bunch of these new aliens that are gonna start popping up exactly and the end of the last few seasons of ds9 though they have like a lot of great different episodes sprinkled in as because you know they they are episodic at a lot of points the major overarching plot is this war with the dominion and it is like ridiculously good and very very interesting and i think this movie came out in like 98 at that point we would have been to i guess season six like we'd be at the height of what would be the dominion war and they barely mention that there's this horrific fucking intergalactic war taking place 
in the Alpha Quadrant, like, there are parts of DS9 where, I mean, obviously it's a Star Trek show and you think there's going to be heroes and stuff, and I don't want to give too much away, but, like, there are times where you're like, oh, shit, how are they going to, how is the Federation going to survive this shit? It's, like, really, really, like, it, it doesn't seem like Picard and the crew should be dancing with little fish people <laughs> and then going to the Briar Patch to investigate data malfunctioning. They should, like, the Enterprise should be on the front lines of this fucking war. Yeah, this movie does kind of contradict the series while trying to pay some lip service to it, but ultimately it just feels like it exists, like, outside of most of, the, of what else is going on in here. Real quick, I can't believe they, they called that the Briar Patch. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it's really interesting. I want to start getting into the plot here before we go any further, because, you know, it kind of does feel like I mentioned in the last episode, Search for Spock, where the original series would kind of do the same show more than once. Like, they had omnipotent gods more than once. They had, you know, hyper-intelligent artificial beings. All these kinds of things, they would sort of do them over and over again until they kind of nailed it, in my opinion. Until they, they would go back in time, until they just did the perfect episode. All this kind of stuff, if you ask me. And I feel like Next Gen is doing the same thing with this movie, only a little further. Like, it feels a lot like a particular episode, Who Watches the Watchers? And it feels like another episode when Picard had to relocate, uh, and this is where they, they call them Indians on the show, but they are clearly indigenous American settlers. Long ago, they left Earth and had another planet, and like much like this movie, they're being asked to relocate. Like It feels like they're sort of going back to the well, because maybe they couldn't really decide on something to advance all of this stuff. So ultimately I'm I this movie's like kind of treading water so just knowing that I feel like I could like lay back and enjoy it as like a standalone episode in a lot of ways um, and I think that's part of a that's a strength of Star Trek like they have a very thick mythology going on but they can also do these throwaway moments that they never visit again and completely forget about the next day much like this encounter going on here tonight <laughs> yeah I agree it's definitely seems very much like an episode that you know they're trying to perfect and i do i do like that star trek and a lot of the different star treks try to do that i just don't understand why they decided i mean this movie just kind of seems safe like the plot just seems like like you said like an episode and i wish that it, and this is my problem with star trek right now is just like i wish they would kind of push the canon a little bit further especially when there's so many stars and and people that were on this show that are still around to kind of hold the torch and keep on running i just wish that they had kind of done that with this they had kind of pushed it into what else was going on in the star trek universe at the time instead of just doing another episode you know it's funny because i think dan cologne brought up like how clever it was to bring con back you know you pulled this one guy off from this episode that was good episode but ultimately like they never talked about con again and then here you go and you make him the main villain you know in the last movie first contact i don't know how many people are aware but zephyrin cochran was in a original episode series as the same character different actor but he was sort of stranded on a planet after testing his hyperdrive and was being kept ageless by a mist like a by a secret alien on the planet it was like kind of keeping him alive it's very cool but you know i expected them to sort of go back to the well a little deeper and bring Q or something you could really push the boundaries now like they, i feel like they've already played it safe enough that this should have been sort of the bonkers movie instead you know and i think we they kind of try to get there with the next one i think they know that they are kind of done by 
the next one so they just sort of was like what's the craziest shit we could think of how about like evil picard clone only he's like 40 years younger it's like uh <laughs> okay apparently they wanted q or the early script had q in this if you believe the imdb trivia apparently you know instead we get f murray abraham yes playing f murray alien okay let me get into this plot real quick we've sort of been talking about everything but moments from the film we sort of generalizing so now we can get a little bit deeper in a nutshell i'm just gonna you know these are just off the top of my head mostly i've got a few notes but basically what's going on is data is helping starfleet and a rogue alien race they look like the mom from brazil when she's getting her spa treatment if you're familiar with that movie that's exactly <laughs> what they look like and they're studying this race of aliens called the baku on an unnamed planet out in this sector called the briar patch and basically what's going on is this world radiates a certain kind of radiation and it keeps you rejuvenated so you're basically immortal these people settled here as refugees 300 years ago and data is helping starfleet study these people with the alien race called the sona data kind of malfunctions we find out he figures out that the Sona and Starfleet are going to relocate the Baku without them knowing in a secret ship, and then they're going to siphon the radiation from the planet's rings, convert it into some kind of energy treatment, and go on to create a miracle cure, kind of like Khan's blood in the second new one. Anyway, basically Picard catches wind. He's like, let me go talk to Data, try and calm him down, figure out what's going on. He gets to the planet. He listens to the plight of the 600 locals that live here on this entire planet all by themselves, and he's like yeah we can't let starfleet do this they're basically like doing it in secret the admiral's like a real shady dude who's aligned with f murray alien who's the leader of the sona basically the movie's about like picard and the crew trying to stop the rogue starfleet officers and the evil sona aliens from siphoning the energy from the planet and they use this giant machine but picard tricks them by using the holodeck ship to pretend that they actually are doing what they're doing but it turns out that uh he fooled them and there's a big final confrontation with picard and f murray alien they destroy the collector ship just in time and save everybody on the planet but in a twist it turns out that the sona the ugly stretchy faced alien people actually were also refugees that arrived 300 years ago to this nameless planet they were part of the baku tribe they left for a different life out in space they decided that sucked they tried this whole time to go back and find their home world they had revenge in their heart patricide on their mind um <laughs> and the ones that did not die in battle end up back on the planet's surface and continue to sort of live their life out reverting back to baku in the end and you know they're off to explore another day hopefully to go help deep space nine with the war <laughs> that's like that's good good job man i like that thanks sometimes you can hear the panic when i listen back to these <laughs> and i'm editing i'm like oh yeah i'm having a panic attack like right in the middle of trying to remember what happened no that was good seriously that off the top of your head with just some minor notes you, you kind of hit all the important stuff there so okay here's what i wanted to say about this up front first and foremost maybe this will kickstart a conversation um i talked a little bit about how Trek repeats itself a little bit. They take what worked and they keep sort of working it over until they get it right. However, I feel like this has a lot of shades of Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock. Um, and I also feel like it's going to be redone a little bit when we get to Star Trek Beyond. 
we have with this is almost like a Genesis 2. It's almost like this planet that, like Genesis did to Spock, it rejuvenates you, it sort of rebuilds you on a molecular structure, except it's not unstable. You know, it's very stable. So the people living on this planet are kind of living forever. That's like the one thing right off the top of my head that reminded me of the original series films. Did you pick up on anything like that? I actually wasn't thinking Genesis, but yeah, now that you mention it, it is it is kind of funny that it's almost like a successful Genesis and in, in, in that these people are living on this planet and will seemingly live forever. I mean, one of the guys says that he's a great deal younger than he was when they first got there. So, I mean, seemingly they could be there forever, whereas Genesis was regenerating the little Spock clone and stuff, but just turned out to explode. And I mean... Seemingly, if Spock had been there for a little bit too long, maybe he would have overcooked. Yes. <laughs> Luckily, they did cook him to the right age, the ripe age of where Leonard Nimoy really was in real life. But yeah, I, I guess you're right. This It is kind of the successful genesis. Now, my question about this world is uh, Data sort of forms an attachment with a child on this planet because, you know, he has never been a child and he's trying to capture like a little bit of that experience. How long has this kid been a kid? The woman even says the leader of the village is like, we sort of aged in reverse a little bit. Like when we got here, we were older than we even are now as far as our appearance. So like if you have a baby, how long is it a baby? How long is it a toddler? Like my mind just started going off the rails sometimes. <laughs> they actually do address it, man. By the way, that kid is Mac from Z Nation. And every time, every time I see that, I'm just like, oh my God, I can't wait till he kills a zombie with a hockey skate. <laughs> Z Nation, by the way, great show. But they do address it because I think it's Picard who says it he's like oh he, he looks at the kid he's like oh well i guess you're 75 and the kid looks at him like all backwards and then the one elder in the village is just like actually the uh the radiation won't affect him until he's reached maturity oh that's so convenient i'm glad that line is in it there. is but, but i missed that line <laughs> so why even bother bringing that up? why even i don't know it could have been cool if there were just no kids on the planet right like that would have been an awesome like we can live forever but we can't reproduce so the six of uh, the whatever hundred of us that arrived here on that ship, we're still the same people that you see here today. Like no one knew, no one died, no one, you know what I'm saying? Like that could have been an interesting step to take it a little bit further. But I guess Data needed to learn um, how to be a kid again for the first time. But I do like near the end when Data pops out of the um, the hay bale and is like, I have to leave. You know, just like a kid saying like, oh, I got to go home and have dinner. They take it a little bit too far with the whole like, oh, remember to play every day. And then he, he hits like Riker in the nose after like poking him in the stomach. Like, I think that was too much. But they do explain why they need children. So they originally set out to lead a life away from technology and, you know, to become artisans and stuff like that. The Sona, they were a group of youngsters who wanted to experience the galaxy and technology, and that's why they were shunned. So the whole act that they decided to have children is the entire reason for this movie, man. <laughs> but it's also the whole, it's what got him into this mess in the first place. And I actually think that's my favorite thing about this film is when you find out that the Sona and the Baku are the same race. I think that is super sci-fi. I don't think that Star Trek has done something quite like that before they might have done an episode it's hard there's hundreds of episodes across multiple series 
but I think they showed what would happen and how far you would go, like to the lengths you would go to get that back. For all he's worth, F. Murray Abraham is a classically trained actor who's done like really great work. I don't know, he kind of feels like he might be slumming it here or, you know, you just get the call, of course you want to be a Bond villain or a Trek villain or in that somehow. But, you know, at least the two warring sides, you sort of have like Hatfields and McCoys kind of thing going on here. I do think that that is actually a quite successful plot point of this movie. Yeah, and the Sona are creepy and F. Murray Abraham does right by this villain for, you know, what they give him. He is menacing and he's got that crazy, like, much better than Darth Vader no scream when he realizes he's on that holodeck bridge. Dude, that is epic. I think that might have become... Are memes... Do memes have audio? I don't know. Whatever have audio. It's like the Kevin Sorbo in that episode where he screams disappointed. He accidentally reads stage directions in an episode of Hercules and he goes, (laughs) Disappointed! (laughs) But to go back to your point about if they've done it before, the lengths that you go to it, you, you totally just sparked my brain. That's kind of the plot direction of the villain in the in Star Trek Generations. The lengths he goes to get back to the Nexus in the ribbon that he would destroy all these stars and, you know, seemingly millions and millions and millions of lives on the planets of the stars they knew. Yeah, he's a world killer. A world killer. Perfectly cast, too. Malcolm McDowell. But yeah, you know, the lengths that that that's some really, really good motivation as opposed to like the search for Spock villain motivation that we kind of found like found waiting and wanting. But this this character, like it's believable. You get why he would want to do this. It's not just revenge. He also wants to save him and his his group of friends and spare them death and more face stretching. And I just like how they just kind of let him be that evil, menacing, good villain that this series really needs to have a good backbone. Yeah, he's got good pathos and that has like the best villains because he believes so much how right he is, you know, like he's never in the wrong according to himself and he'll go to any length necessary to get what he wants. I think that this particular villain sort of struck a chord in a way because not again not too many spoilies because we're going to get there one day but the character in beyond the villain in star trek beyond when the new crew gets to you know then that sort of barren world or whatever what do they call it? it's like sort of pirate's bay it's like kidnap alley yeah. or wherever they get to like the leader of that planet you find out he's sort of been prolonging his lifespan in order to get back home quote unquote right to exact his <laughs> revenge in a lot of ways now there aren't many other clear-cut similarities to it but i do believe that it's that strong i was sort of scorned or pushed away from my family or in his or in the case of beyond of starfleet and so he thinks he's abandoned by starfleet and so the hate makes sense you know and the lengths and such that you find out he's willing to go towards makes sense and i think those are echoes kind of of what's successful about this villain what about the other villain in this movie mr admiral doherty oh my god dude so if we had a star trek podcast you know if we were doing that show we could have an entire episode just about evil starfleet admirals <laughs> this is a particularly bad one too like he does he is such like a bad he's like oh well 
you should get out of here. I've just got a few loose ends to tie up. Like, nothing to see here. He's such a smug bastard, and he's a super pushover. Like, apparently the Sona have developed the collecting device that's gonna capture the radiation from the ring of the planet and convert it into, you know, their life-saving elixir, apparently. And they haven't even tested this out. You know, and they're down there on the planet studying the Baku so that when they relocate them, they get everything just right again. That they'd have no idea that they've been relocated and it's perfect it's like while you're down there on the planet you haven't been regenerating like you haven't noticed the effects like Worf gets acne and he's in orbit Jordy's eyes regenerate and he's there for hours F. Murray Abraham go sit in the sun for a week and let's see you know chill out man like what's they even there's even a, a line I think where the Admiral's like oh it's gonna take 10 years and even then half of his crew will be dead it's like yeah well that's them's the breaks dude like I just feel like you know <laughs> it's not one of those cases they try to make the case the uh you sacrifice the few for the many right like that's a big that's a big deal in not just star trek but in everything but it's just so flimsy in this one <laughs> and then you get picard delivering that's like how many how, i was like what's what's it worth it when does it not become okay admiral like a hundred a thousand a million when does it when does it not become okay it's so flimsy that they have to do the, oh, well, you know, they could get down there. They don't really have that much time to live. It's just like, yeah, you know, yeah, Worf is reverting back to, like, adolescence almost. It wouldn't just stop their horrible intent. Like, I understand, like, maybe 10 years to undo the damage that's been done. But, like, if they just stayed down there and there is, like, it's not like there isn't an abundance of room. It's a whole freaking planet. and There's only, like, 600 people down there. Like, I don't understand they were banished and then they decided to come back. What would have stopped them from just like going to the other side of the planet and never interacting with the Bach, whoever again, they've already said they have no interest in technology. So maybe they don't have long range sensors or even short range sensors and they lived there. So they should know that they don't have that type of capability. There's all sorts. I mean, I understand the revenge aspect. They want to go after the people that banished them, but I mean, Live and let live, dude. Just move to the other side of the freaking planet and call it a day. Yeah, I think what the issue here for me might be that Starfleet's even involved. Like, I think it's a bad move to have them around. And because they're only here because apparently this planet... Okay, so 300-something years ago, these refugees just stumbled across this planet in the middle of nowhere because it was, like, cloaked in this nebula. And it happens to be in Starfleet jurisdiction now. All of a sudden, like, they're re zoning the maps of space and it turns out they've oh look we've discovered we own this planet after all so evicted if they just were never even in this movie right and picard data like if they sort of had another method of finding out what's happening but you just are dealing with the baku and the sona then i think it's much tighter you could even make a case for what you're saying a lot stronger when it's just picard because he's representing starfleet and it's not this sort of debate we don't need that much politics in the actual movies themselves i feel like they're almost more designed to be leaning more toward the action side of things uh and i think that's for the better i think you want to have your tete-a-tete with f murray abraham and picard exclusively you want to get like sort of all the issues out on the table with them so that by the end of it they really come to this like difference of belief like a fundamental difference of how they both work and it just like explodes in a fist fight or an explosion or something so i think they, they get in the way a little bit starfleet 
yeah, Starfleet doesn't really need to be here for the way they're, tr- with the things they're trying to do. I mean, there's even a point where the Enterprise is going to leave the Briar Patch and go, like, sound the alarm and tell the Council and tell the Federation about what's going on here. And F. Murray Abraham's just like, oh, well, he'll follow them and destroy. I mean, ask them to come back and use force if they don't. And and Doherty's just like, oh, oh, yeah, well, that that, that sounds sensible. That's perfectly fine. He's such a pushover. <laughs> such a pushover. There's no point to having, I hate, except for Section 31 and some of the some of the stuff that they do with, like, the darker sides of the Federation, I like a lot, but it just doesn't seem to work here. It's like, they really, the Federation's totally cool with them forcibly removing this small group of aliens just so that they can farm up this technology that will, you know, help you know society it's like it goes against everything that the federation really stands for oh they're violating the prime directive just by being there in the first place like they're they're walking around the planet in cloaking devices spying on this civilization from the rocks and like a base like a whole secret base situation going on down here like this is not cool when it comes down to like what starfleet stands for like because like inevitably you're going to blow your cover something's going to happen and you know shit gets to i mean it happens all the time on the show in one way or another where they have to violate the prime directive and they have to help a unadvanced civilization realize they're part of a larger universe etc etc instead of letting them come to that moment themselves as a planet or society but it is just not in the nature of starfleet to be involved in this kind of shenanigans if you ask me like maybe if it was like that episode where the brain worms were taken over everybody do you remember that episode or anything yeah like maybe if we find out like that's what happened to this guy instead of him just being a stone cold dick um because he almost feels like he's going rogue like but it it also isn't that he's sanctioned to be doing what he's doing he orders a hit on Riker, which is like, okay. <laughs> which, by the way, director director of the movie, Mr. Jonathan Franks. Okay, we got to talk about Riker for a minute in this movie. <laughs> you know, from time to time, I can understand, like, it's hard to give everybody something to do, especially when you're writing an extra 40 minutes and you're not sure where to sort of fill this space and stuff. But it feels like they had no fucking clue what to do at Riker for the first half of this movie. So he's just like fucking around with Deanna Troy. They're in a bubble bath and he's shaving his beard. So we get bearded and non-bearded number one in this movie. (laughs) It just felt like he's got no purpose here whatsoever. Like at the end of this, yes, he's told to go report back to Starfleet and then kind of comes back at the end, but ultimately like serves no purpose, if you ask me. Well, I mean, he gets the Riker maneuver in on it where he sucks up all the gas did they end up naming that after him did he do that in the dominion war (laughs) i mean it'd be pretty sweet i mean i gotta maybe look up and see if there's i don't know of any time they've they've ever referenced the Riker maneuver but that'd be pretty sweet gotta go to memory alpha yeah oh definitely it's probably there and just references the movie yeah he's he's canoodling with troy and you know he's obviously very spry because of the radiation from the planet warp core ejected and he blows up one of the ships and then he comes back and saves picard from a fiery grave it's definitely looks 
or seems like maybe him directing the movie, he didn't want to give himself too much to do. I mean, he directed a lot of episodes of the show and a lot of other Star Trek stuff after and before this, but maybe just because it was his directorial debut as a Star Trek for a Star Trek movie that he didn't want to, like, outshine everybody and he just wanted to give him some himself, like, a couple of fun, cutesy lines and the, I'm so sick of these guys, we're gonna blow them up, and I don't know, he's... he's He's got some fun things to do when he's in command of the ship. You actually make an interesting point, because if you remember, Leonard Nimoy directed Search for Spock, and he's Mm -hmm. not in that movie at all. Uh, He shows up literally as... Like, Leonard Nimoy as Spock shows up for three shots on Vulcan at the end. So we were talking about how he kind of took himself out of the movie so he could kind of concentrate on making the movie. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. And now that I know that, I'm going to turn around, in my opinion, and say he kind of kind of coy and clever in the way that he's, like, put himself into this movie. Because he knew that he was going to be kind of not useless, but, like, maybe at times the levity, right? Like, Every time we cut back to him, something funny or stupid is kind of happening. And I, that might have been by design now that I think about it. That like, oh yeah, when we cut back to me, let's just keep it light. Like, keep it chill, like nothing too crazy. And at the end, I'll have like one fun scene, but that's about it. We'll just concentrate as much as we can on making this movie. I like that. Yeah, exactly. When you cut back to me, let me make a crack about how my face is as smooth as your ass, Brent. And then... You can touch my face and then shake your head in, in, in disagreement. Now that I'm directing the movie, I can get into the bath with Deanna Troy and direct that scene of us together like I've always wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> and I had forgotten that it's probably the effects of the radiation from the planet, but he like comes into Deanna Troy's room and is like, what you doing? How's it going? And he's like a total... 12 year old or something and he just kind of like lays down in her lap and she's like what are you doing what is this why are you acting and he's like i don't know i just like feel like it i'm like what is happening with this guy i have to say probably my favorite parts of this movie are the effects that the planet has on the crew itself because again my favorite part of the next generation is this ensemble cast so kind of screwing with them even if it's you know positive or negative i really 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 enjoyed a lot yeah i almost feel like we were always robbed of a mirror mirror version of the next generation crew they know one's out there in some form or another i mean they they were busy with the borg so we sort of got locutus as evil picard along the way and stuff and we got omnipotent Riker at one point and you know they had there's there's evil data lore is out there doing his thing at some point and you know there's shades of that kind of stuff there is a comic book and it is crazy imagine sleeveless muscle picard that like jacked prison tats jacked no no tats but like sleeveless muscle picard and it is horrifying he's kind of always been up i mean he's always looked like he was up there in age but patrick stewart he's bringing it in this one like he looks like like he's really in shape he's got to do a lot of that action stuff it mostly falls on his shoulders let's talk a little bit about his thread in this movie on the planet itself since we're sort of talking about the effects and stuff but uh, how do you feel about his whole like romance subplot with this woman leader of the group and i apologize i just did not catch any names of any of these aliens like i just could not keep up at one point so i'm not even sure what her name is and i'm sorry about that it's a n i j n n j Anij? Oh, God. Are you as bad with names as I am? Hockey and Star Trek are two of my favorite things, so it plagues me, dude. 
just I'm such a huge fan of Godzilla and stuff, and I always like to try and read the credit. No, because I want to remember those actors and stuff, because a lot of them reappear over years, like down the line and everything. And so I'd love to be able to reference these people, but I just can't keep it together. But I will try and go to some like audio tape and see if I can get a pronunciation of Anjinja, if I can. Anj. Aonigi? I don't know. Oh, so Picard throughout the series only has like a handful of love interests. And this one, it's it's not bad. It's kind of short and sweet. It's a little bit odd that she can stop time and somehow she teaches him how to stop time. I, I, I hate bringing it up right away, but I forgot it. That's how, like, I haven't seen this movie, like, sat down and really paid attention to it. Like, I watched it a couple of weeks ago, like a month or two ago. Oh, God, like three months ago. But before that, I can't remember the last time I had watched it. And I completely forgot about her freaking stopping time. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you, I wasn't sure if she was stopping time or if she was just manipulating the radiation on the planet is, it, or if it's some kind of combination because if it appears you're right, like later on Picard can sort of command the radiation to bring her back to life or something like that. And, and we see the bird fluttering in slow motion, but I wondered if that was just sort of like an alien hummingbird. And then we see the pollen drift and I was like, okay, so is that the radiation? It's very unclear that whole moment there so i'm glad you brought it up they do not make it clear but i always thought of it as uh, they don't clarify it at all but maybe the cave sequence was that he's like oh i'm losing her and he stops time and slows down her death long enough for crusher to come in and save her life like that's what i gathered from it is that like he literally stopped everything that was moving. But, I mean, wouldn't that also stop, like, your perception? Wouldn't it stop Dr. Crusher from moving? And it seems like maybe there's some kind of limit or field that they're generating around themselves, perhaps. I wish this was either omitted or half the movie. Like, I want half the movie of their romance being her teaching Picard time tricks. I think it would have worked cool maybe to do, like, there's a lot of Star Trek and a lot of sci-fi movies where, you know, time moves slower on the surface of a planet as opposed to being, like, so maybe, like, you know, he could spend 30 years not aging down there learning her secret, almost like the inner light. You know, like, he could learn how to play the flute and learn about this planet's history and about this man that lived down there, but only over the course of a few hours, but in his mind, it's, you know, it's an entire lifetime. Oh, I wish they did, like, an interstellar kind of thing with this where because of the gravity like yeah there's all that time dilation stuff because i feel like that's not addressed enough in space shows in general um i think there might have been an episode of the orville about that but i'm not positive it might have just been a spoof i've seen somewhere else but orville pretty damn good show there's actually a great episode of voyager that does it oh okay i'm gonna dive back into voyager then and dig up that episode but yeah i really love all that stuff and i think like that could have been sort of like the effect of the radiation right like it decelerates things it doesn't rejuvenate you it just slows everything down so when you're on the surface time runs differently and that could have been an interesting conundrum for there to be a super ticking clock right like they have to do something in space so they get them off that planet before everyone ages like 30 years too far or something or the inverse like you know everybody that's off the planet you know something horrible is going to happen in like a year from now and you have to go down to the planet to figure it out before it happens 
But like, instead of you having like the whole year up here to figure it out, you only have like six days on the planet to figure it out. Did we ever find out how long those kids were away for? Because like, uh, you know, F. Murray Abraham and his crew look to be um, like a hundred years old. Like there must be some kind of like residual effect that's in you kind of forever that keeps you alive, even though the rest of your body is sort of like rotting away. There's something going on. I, I didn't know if there was any lip service paid to that. Or, or if that crossed your mind at all. Something to keep you spry, man. Or maybe that's just how their race ages. Like, your bones don't go brittle, your muscles stay toned, but, like, your skin and all your internal organs just start to fail. Like, maybe the Baku is just special like that. But, yeah, it's got to be... It's one of those things they probably should have left in the movie and is probably addressed somewhere. It was just dropped on, like, the cutting room floor. Because if it was some kind of time manipulation thing that they knew as a ritual, then it would make even more sense that they could sort of keep slowing down their aging process to a degree, even though they're off-world because they've learned whatever they needed to learn. I don't know. But all I do know is they put the Admiral in that face stretching machine to kill him. So the average human cannot survive, you know, that makeover routine is what I gathered. (laughs) I like how they almost alluded to it too. when he says, oh, I will miss our little skin stretching sessions. It was almost like a little like poke, like, hey, somebody's really going to get, I mean, this is not the last time we're going to see the skin stretching machine. What else is weird is uh, F. Murray Alien's motley crew of assorted aliens what was his name uh, christopher lloyd's klingon sort of had the same thing going on where he was a klingon but like he you know at any chance they get they will sort of undermine the empire if they feel like they could you know have a chance to take it over so it's like he was sort of going rogue even though no one really knew yet uh he was gonna just kind of wait till yeah. he got the genesis power and then just show back up home and be like i'm taking over um but in the meantime no one was like what the hell is he up to? No one cared. But I feel like there's a bit of that going on, too, where he's sort of assembled this ragtag crew of aliens with, like, nothing to live for. So, like, we might as well just, like, join this Space Pirates crew because he's got, like, some plan about, like, living forever with an ultimate weapon. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, I don't know if it would have worked better, maybe, if, like, because the aliens don't reveal that. Like, don't you want to let the people you're taking revenge on know? Isn't it kind of the thing to, like, be like, I'm stabbing you because you did so wrong to me back in the day, and I want you to know that I'm the person that you fucked over, and that's why I'm fucking you over right now. It's all about that moment, right? It's all about standing over and bragging about to win right before the hero pulls one last move, right? And you're right. F. Murray Abraham needed to talk to Picard's girlfriend more or at all because when they finally do, she's like, I remember that voice. I know exactly who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you should have just, like, told us what was going on before. We would have been cool with it. But also, like, from a film standpoint like you're saying just from a general story standpoint when it comes to this level of revenge you want to tell the person you know i am actually this here's the big reveal i used to live here we're one of the people that you sent away and now we're back when that comes it comes too late and sort of in the wrong way i don't think this needed to be set up with like you know like maybe the movie starting with them however they were banished as children or something i don't know there's a lot of different ways i feel like they could have changed definitely the beginning or changed the villains here i mean we have what we have so i'm not going to go into crazy what i would prefer as a star trek fan but i mean i feel like they could have maybe done a little bit more explained a little bit i mean they just explained that they wanted to travel and that they didn't want to shun technology and they were banished for that well i'm not even sure if they were like 100% 
banished. But from what I understand is like their society was sort of like, oh, we want to be free of the confines of technology, almost like technophobes in a lot of ways and stuff. And then when the youngsters were like, well, no, like maybe we could embrace this and like use it and make it a thing again. I think they were just like, okay, go ahead. I think they're just like not stopping them. But I don't think they're ever like never come back. You're not welcome here again. Uh, I think that was more of a thing when they went out there and they didn't find a new settlement and they realized how much better it was in the briar patch. Ugh, I can't believe that's what they're calling this fucking <laughs> nebula. Like, yeah, I think they went out there. They had like a swift kick in the gut and they realized like shit ain't worth it we got to go back and i think you're totally right though that um he needed his big speech and a big twist and the twist was sort of fumbled yeah they they kind of almost seems like they wrote it in they had to have a reveal at some point or maybe the movie didn't make sense without it and then maybe in in reshoots they put it in but then you have that character that helps picard who like conveniently it was just like oh yeah you know i do want to go back and see my mom like yeah i'll help you I'll help you. Yeah, no problem. And he does. In the end, he goes back and he meets up with his mom again, which was a nice little moment. But it feels like a fix. But like I said before, it's like my favorite aspect of the plot is the whole concept of like the prodigal son's return. You know, it's like the same thing. It's like he went out into the world to make something of himself and now he's back. He feels like he knows better and now he's back to sort of rule and take everyone's place or do what he sees fit with, you know, the world that he left behind. Like now I'm good enough to take it over or something like that. And maybe it's just resting too much on classic tropes like that where it doesn't feel like it's necessary to just just explain everything away, but you kind of just want more when it comes to Star Trek than your average action film. Well, apparently from what I was reading, it, it, it was even more further in the other direction when they originally had this laid out from what I was reading is that the original screenplay had something to do with everybody on the planet was going to be a child like much older but like you know elvish like kind of like and that Q was going to be involved but yeah they they apparently and and you can see it with Mac um from because uh, again I have no idea what the kid's character's name is so i'm just gonna call him mac from z nation data's friend they use him a little bit but it seems like they wanted to lean on that character a little bit more like oh yeah he's never seen a machine before so it scares him and the kid's just like oh well he rusted like you know what does he breathe under there and picard's just like nah he won't rust he's good stupid little kid yeah we needed more of that because like at one moment the elders are like oh we know about positronic brains like we're not morons or anything like that we just choose not to build them and stuff and so why doesn't this kid know what a what an android is like i feel like they're did they stop teaching the youngsters once you know f murray alien left as a teenager and never came back they're like maybe we should just let them figure it out on their own from this point on and stuff but i would have loved actually that angle a little bit more because they dropped data the movie starts about data and then it's like we have to get data under control and once he's under control he's just schlepped off with this little kid and we just kind of like meet up with them every once in a while throughout the rest of the adventure but like ultimately data is not really doing too much he's oh he beams the uh, Sona off of their ship secretly but like you know Worf could have done that he's not really doing too much data stuff so it would have been a lot cooler to see him be with this kid a lot more data is the entire drive for the beginning of the plot of this movie he's the reason why the Enterprise is there to begin with even then Darty doesn't even want Admiral Darty doesn't even want Picard and all of them to come he just wants the schematics of data so that he can you know deactivate him himself what was data even doing out there on loan in the first place like what 
kind of mission did he think it was? He shouldn't ever have been there to begin with. Just, you know, if it's going to be this convenient, why not just have it be, uh, you know, the Enterprise sort of gets marooned on this planet, right? And that way, like, they're stuck there on top of everything else. Like, they have to rebuild the ship with the primitive race. But, oh, lo and behold, it turns out like they know what they're doing. It's just they kind of, they're weary of it because it's ruined them in the past and it's caused the riff and all this kind of thing about their society and stuff and so like we could have just gotten more of that philosophy I guess but no one's going to the actual theater for, I forget you know what I'm talking about Dan like that's more of like the TV episode I forget we're at the theater and we need explosions I really I would watch that episode man I would watch a three hour episode of that but you want to expl- alright I got explosions for you I was going to keep this up but I, I got this for you my main problem with the movie is again I was saying that it's happening during one of I would say the great story arcs in Star Trek history have for some reason like a dominion a group of dominion warships and have them try to stop the Jem'Hadar warships or whatever and have like the defiant show up and rescue them as like you know like how they show up and rescue the defiant in the last movie and that's how Worf joins you and, and comes on board and then maybe it'd be about like how the dominion knows about the regenerative properties but the federation has to defend them like I, I don't know I've had this in my head for a long time I just think it would have been such a cool movie movie to see like don't even need like a Vorta from DS9 but I would love to see like Jeffrey Combs in here and have Picard versus Wayun that would be so fucking awesome because he's not on the best of terms with that space station Picard right there could have been some great tension there about you know what is right and what is wrong when concerning Starfleet and the Prime Directive and the people's different experiences but I love that because they could the Dominion could even like you could take it a step further and solidify it even deeper into continuity and be like oh this is one of the reasons they're even invading our sector is because of this planet that they had heard about and they found before the Federation and had hoped to sort of uh, use as like an outpost in the meantime you know and that way they live forever on this world and they're in like they start infesting the system and like you know like that I love that damn it Dan like I almost feel like I wish we could write Star Trek episodes Oh, dude, you don't even know. You're giving me more ideas on this. And again, if you haven't seen DS9, I don't even know if I want to say it to you since you haven't watched it, Mike, but like there's a plot point about something with the Dominion and an illness. Make it so they need this planet to remedy that illness. Oh my God, that would be fucking cool. Because what I really liked about Deep Space Nine, what I do like about it, maybe the most, the one thing that draws me to it the most is they're not on a ship out exploring space. So they're on a, a space station and there's sort of an outpost in the middle of fucking nowhere at least for the most part to begin with it's like the expanded universe of star trek in a lot of ways because it's not entirely starfleet there's a lot of just citizens of the galaxy coming in and out of that place you know not you know people aren't wearing the uniform all the time and that's a really cool sort of refreshing angle i feel like that was a really smart idea for a show they need to make three movies of ds9 so that we can talk about ds9 on this podcast because i swear to god i was even shuddering to mention it because i could probably talk about deep space nine for days and days on end man maybe we'll do like a mini episode on trek before the next one because brian and i sort of did that with wrestlemania 3 in between the two episodes we did just like uh where we talked about wrestling in general and what we liked about it and stuff so maybe we could do like an off a one-off episode about just the rest of trek because tonight i don't want to start getting into it but there's been a lot of new shows on the air picard has come back with a whole new show of his own with data in it like data show i've watched the entire series i've not watched a lot of the other new stuff but that could be a fun episode 
It would be. And it is a little too bad that, you know, they didn't reboot, but for all intent and purpose, they sort of created this other Trek timeline and started making those movies, and they just completely stopped making movies in this timeline, you know? Because like you said, like Deep Space Nine never got their movie, Voyager, I mean, they couldn't really do a movie, but those characters are still around. So, I mean, Seven and Nine even shows up on the Picard show. But we'll get to that if we get to that. If you do want a DS9 movie with a little bit more DS9, the DS9 documentary, I contributed to it. I love it. It is absolutely fantastic. And I think, have you haven't heard of What We Left Behind? No. Please tell me a little bit more and what your contribution is. Okay, so they crowdfunded Indiegogo, a DS9 documentary that Ira Burr, the showrunner, wanted to do. He only wanted, I think it was like they were looking for like $400,000 or something like that. And in the end, we ended up raising like 200 or 300 times the funds that they needed. But it's a great documentary all about DS9. The whole cast is back for like testimonials and stuff. They enhance a couple of the battle scenes with HD. And then one of my favorite parts is that they bring back every writer from the show and they write the next episode for a new season of DS9 together. It's so fucking cool. It actually flows really well. I mean, Ira's really good at what he does, but it's a it's a fantastic film. I'd be glad to lend it to you if you're more interested in it. Speaking of DS9 real quick, I have a couple Star Trek action figures because it was sort of a running gag in high school with my friend Rick where we would have a Captain Picard in his car. You know, some people would put like hula girls in their car. Some people would hang the uh, trees from their rear view. He super glued a Captain Picard on the dashboard of his car. <laughs> Every couple of years after high school, I would send him another toy Captain Picard and it kind of became like a running joke. Uh, but I still have like three left in my garage. One of them is um, from an episode we mentioned where he becomes an old man. The Inner Light. The Inner Light. I have Inner Light Picard and I have Locutus Picard and I have him in just general Starfleet. I think it's from this movie, actually. I have him in the black Starfleet uniform. That's more like the one they're wearing in this one. But then I got a Q action figure, and when I opened it up, it came with something that I sent you photos of, and it was win a walk-on role to Deep Space Nine and design an alien, a concept for an alien contest. That's so cool. I loved how back in the day, because don't, you don't see that kind of stuff that much. Like You would get Star Trek or Star Wars um, like fan club order forms and stuff and toys when you were younger. And I just don't, I just didn't see a lot of that with my niece and nephew growing up. So I opened that up. I saw that. I sent a picture to you. And I think, yeah, we got a good laugh out of that one. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I would love to find out who the kid was who won that contest and <laughs> what the alien was that he got to create. Cause there are some really, really cool creature uh, makeup designs on DS nine. So it's gotta be one that you'd never think of, but it, it, I bet it's out there. I'd like to think that they followed through on their contest for these children. One of my favorite episodes of The Next Generation is when they find Scotty in a transporter. <laughs> that was amazing. I'm not sure if that's the Dyson Sphere episode or not. I think maybe they crashed into the side of the Dyson Sphere. I don't know. I could be blending things together, but that was great. Yeah, speaking of just bringing back old characters. And Spock had a major role in The Next Generation. I was surprised uh, originally when I was watching those episodes. I was like, damn, Leonard Nimoy came all the way through. Yeah, those are and those are really good episodes, the Leonard Nimoy ones. I do only remember, and this is probably because it's it's not one of my favorite episodes, but I do remember having old Montgomery Scott 
got found in a, in a transporter or a torpedo tube or whatever it was. And I feel like they've done that with a couple of different series, especially, well, the 90s and 80s series, I feel like they've done that with. So I only got one last thing to mention before we close up here, before we uh, go on some shore leave, as it were. I just wanted to mention this one last moment, and we sort of started talking about the effects of the planet on the crew a little bit. And for me, I think my favorite moment in the movie is the time we spend with Jordy at the sunset. That really hit me this time as emotional and stuff. And I was like, wow, like Jordy and LeVar Burton, LeVar Burton is such a great actor and Jordy is such a developed character by this point that when he gets his eyes back, it is like like a gut punch. Like I was like not ready for that, even though I knew it was going to happen. I was like, wow, I forget how like beautiful this moment is. It was really nice. And I'm really glad that they remembered to do that in this movie. It is by far, and I'm so happy you said it, man. It is by far my favorite part of this movie movie it makes this movie worth it but it's not just the fact that he's been given his eyesight and he can look at the sunrise but like later in the movie he's like how could i look when they decide that they're gonna help picard go stop the sona and save everybody it's like how could i look at another sunrise knowing what my sight costs these people and i'm like damn dude that's fucking badass that's so cool. Yeah, dude. Jordy's the man. LeVar Burton is the joint. Reading Rainbow, my childhood, just always was just always a presence on TV. And again, like kind of like Whoopi Goldberg, like the idea that both of them were in Star Trek The Next Generation, like at the time, just constantly blew my mind on a weekly basis because I was like, here are these two like really esteemed people. Like, I guess they just love Star Trek, you know? And I don't, who can blame them? Like, it is a phenomenon. It is nearly a religion, you know? I mean, hey, if L. Ron Hubbard and Science can be a religion spawning from a science fiction novel Dianetics like why not Gene Roddenberry and you know the Star Trek universe like I feel like their morals and lessons are way more beneficial to society than anything that Elrond put together you know it's just a remarkable thing yeah man more Picard and Kirk and less Zeno which episode was that <laughs> Dan I think we're good to wrap up here tonight just one more time just thanks for coming on thanks for being my Star Trek consultant here it's a lot of fun I'm glad I found a Trekkie friend to come on the air with me and talk Star Trek because uh, I've been wanting to do these for a while and it's great to be here with someone who cares and someone who's like honest with their opinions about the film and stuff so I just want to say thank you very much dude thank you thank you so much for asking me to come on and talk about literally I will talk about any Star Trek with you even the Star Trek I hate I've watched so so anytime you feel like talking about it I'm around well, then you're definitely going to be back for a little Idris Elba, a little Chris Pine, a little Zachary Quinto, you know, some Simon Pegg, maybe. Hell yes. We'll do that Star Trek Beyond episode for sure, at the least, the very least. But I guess until next time, make it so. That's going to do it for this episode of Third Time's a Charm. 
Thanks again to Dan, my number one, for being my resident trekker. And I can't wait to have him back on again to discuss the third part three in the Star Trek universe franchise, Star Trek Beyond, 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 Beyond. Until then, for all things Third Time's a Charm, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Catch the new show, The Monsters That Made Us, with me and the invisible Dan Cologne, the last Friday of every month. First episode, out now, Phantom of the Opera from 1925, the silent film black and white classic. And if you're listening to this in real time, that is on the day that it's released, that is November 3rd, 2020, please go vote. For the Golden Woodies, the Tom Hanks Awards, there's still time. It's the most important thing you can do today. Rate, review, and subscribe to this show on iTunes, leave a review, and get the show everywhere else you get podcasts online. Write to me at 3 at cageclub.me. And until next time... Three, that's the magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three, they stubbing me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?